from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Wendy, I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. Happy to be with you, too, my love. You do make me a happy man. Waking up each day and knowing you're my wife is a great delight to me. Same. Although I don't get to know I'm your wife. I get to know that you're my husband. Well, you get to know that you're my (laughs) wife, too. That's kind of how it works. Not to say, like, every day of 28 years of marriage, we felt that way about each other. I don't want to give the world the wrong impression. Okay. There were times where... (laughs) (laughs) It was hard! It's true. And it's still hard. Yeah. But there's so, so many rewards, and... I don't know why that was on my mind. I just thought I'd say it. Thanks, love. It's a blessing to be your husband and for you you. to be my wife. We got in the mail a very, very moving card, which just is such a testimony to God's grace. And she ends this card. Her name's Catherine. And she ends the card by saying, uh, if any part of this you find to be edifying for the greater body of Christ, you are welcome to use it. So in light of that, I thought I'd just read this, because this is just such a testimony to God's good graces. She said, Dear Wendy and Christopher, you answered my question on your podcast, which aired at the beginning of October. I had asked about old flames. She says, I'm writing to you because of a sequence of events that has occurred in the last two months. After your episode aired, I experienced a torrent of grace in my life, Mm. allowing me to detach from that old relationship, Mm. forgive both myself and him, and repent. Mm. There's a lot more that could be said about that process. But this past weekend, get this, this was the part that I couldn't, I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, the grace of God, how the grace of God intervened in her life to prepare her for this. She says, this past weekend, I found out that he had, meaning her old boyfriend, had passed away unexpectedly and tragically. Mm. I am so grateful to have had this month of surrender and preparation Mm. so that I can grieve for him and pray for him from a more full heart. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Catherine, thank you for taking the time to write that note and put it in the mail to us. Uh, it, it just gave Wendy and me a window into God's faithfulness. Yeah. Wow. It, for those who maybe didn't hear that episode, uh, she had written about how strong she still felt this attach- attachment and attraction to this man, even though she knew it wasn't God's will for her to be in that relationship. And that was a source of conflict and concern for her. So for us knowing that she received such graces for freedom and a genuine desire for his good, that, um, you know, what an intercessor he had in the last few weeks of his life, which he had no way of knowing would be the last few weeks of his life and continues to have because of the the healing in her heart. Yeah. It's yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Catherine, again, thank you for for writing to us. I just it it builds up a sense of community among all of the podcast listeners. Mm-hmm. I believe when we hear these stories, if if you're a listener out there and you have a story of God's grace working 
through this podcast or through John Paul II's Theology of the Body that you want to share, um, send it uh, either in the, uh, you know, where you put your questions in. What do we call that thing? I don't even know what we call it. You guys know where you ask your questions. I, I've never, I've never asked a question on the Ad, Ask Christopher West podcast. I don't know how to submit a question to this podcast, but you guys do. So you can send us your thoughts there, or a little grace story, story of God's grace in your life, or if you want to write a note to us and put it in the mail the old-fashioned way, like like um, Catherine did. You can find our PO box on. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. It's uh, PO box five seven three. Quarryville, Pennsylvania, 17566. There you go. There you go. How about an update from the TB Institute? Yes, it's not too late to register for courses we have coming up. We have three live courses that all, at least some of their days, are in January. We have um, John, I was about to say John Paul's course. No, it's Bill Dunahy's course. Mm-hmm. On the way of beauty, that's um, the second week of January here in Pennsylvania. The way of beauty is a is really an entering into a sacramental understanding of the world. How do we see the world as God created it to be, as a sign of His glory and beauty? It it will change your life. This many of our certification students and our master's students have said the way of beauty course is one of their favorites. So check that out. Um, I am teaching the Love and Responsibility course in Sydney, Australia, the third week of January. Sydney, Australia, for people in that part of the world, or if you want to go on an adventure and fly to that part of the world or take a boat, can't really drive uh, unless you're already in Australia. Um, Yeah, check that out. I'd love to have you at that course. And there is at the end of January, like, the last couple days into the first week of February, the Desert Stream ministry team led by Andrew Comiskey, a longtime friend of mine, will be here in Pennsylvania offering the Sexual Integration and Redemption course. This is a kind of different offering for the TOB Institute. There's a lot of small group work. You have to apply to come to the course. You can't just sign up. You have to go through a little questionnaire because they want to make sure that everybody knows what they're kind of getting into and if they're prepared to do that interior work. This would be for people who who know they're in need of some growth and healing and want to have some concrete steps to enter into that healing. You will find this very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. So check out all of those links in – well, just check out the course l- schedule link in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. I have a question for you from one of our patrons. Let's do it. This is from Jill. Christopher and Wendy, first I want to take a moment to thank you both for the open and honest way you share your own struggles and journey. You often talk about Christ being naked and unashamed on the cross as the untwisting of the nakedness after the fall. The way that you two are often naked and unashamed, emotionally speaking, and how you share your personal stories has this— Actually, we need to let everybody in on a little— Inside information. We actually record this podcast naked. No, we do not. <laughs> Please don't have that image stay with you. Oh my 
Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Emotionally speaking, as you said, in how you share your personal stories has the same redemptive power for us, your listeners. It is a true gift you give through your vulnerability. Thank you, Jill, for that. My question is this. If as married couples we're called to be domestic churches in our own families with the husband as the head and the wife as an equal helpmate, uh, the neck <laughs> that turns the head, as I've heard before. <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding. <laughs> then why is it that our parishes and churches are only run by fathers? I 100% understand the theological, theological reasons for male priesthood when it comes to consecration and the sacraments. I am not suggesting female ordination. But in terms of overall parish administration, spiritual direction, and other things needed to, quote, run a house, why not have a father and mother co-leading of sorts like in a family? Not just a job within the parish, but an actual, say, a consecrated sister who would be assigned, much like a priest. Obviously, there would be many logistical things to figure out in a scenario like this, would it be licit? Could it even be helpful to our overworked priests not to be so, so to speak, single parents? Huh. Wow, Jill, I, I, I never quite approached the. I know what she's getting at, but I never qu- quite approach it the way she's approaching it. And I really want to commend you for like pressing into the practical application of this analogy. That's that's some creative thinking, and I can tell. You've been prayerful about it. Like you're sitting with this, you're looking at the church, you're you're applying this spousal imagery, and you're saying, "How could this work out? Aren't we missing something here?" And I think you may be onto something. Uh, and I do believe. Well, let me back up and say this: If you look at the universal church, which is what the church is, it's the church universal, right? You cannot not recognize that the church is made up of males and females, and males and females contribute to what the church is. I mean, think of a Mother Teresa. Think of a a Therese, the little flower. Think of um, Teresa of of Avila. Think Think of the little old ladies that are just at your own parish praying the rosary and probably sustaining the entire edifice of the parish without us even knowing it. You know, so I, I don't want to fall into the false idea that women aren't vital and already contributing substantially and tremendously to the life of the church. We might say, and I think it's appropriate to recognize, that that, that role of the woman is not as visible. But that does not mean it's not as as real. I just wanna I wanna say that first, and then I wanna say yeah, I think you're I think you're on to something. And there have been efforts in recent decades in the church, especially beginning with the pontificate of John Paul II. He devoted so much time and energy to upholding, defending uh, the genius of woman and and saying to the church universal, woman's gifts and woman's contributions must be recognized. Right? And You know, there's been some controversy about the latest synod in Rome and what's going on in Rome, and should Pope Francis have invited 
lay people, men and women, to be part of that synod? And isn't a synod just for bishops? And isn't this specifically the role of the bishop to do this at the synod? Okay, I, 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 we go back and forth on that. But I just want to hold that out that, to say, yeah, hey, look what happened at the synod recently. Lay people were involved, men and women. Um, that's, that's really important. That's really important to recognize that there's a need to recognize the roles of women without turning them into men. And you've made it very clear that's not what you are about at all. And I'm going to commend you for that. I'd also suggest a document to you that came out sometime in the early 2000s, I think. I, I, I may have the date wrong. I can't remember exactly. But it was something about the proper collaboration of men and women in the life of the church. Something, mm-hmm. I forget what it was even called. That was more the subtitle. But look up a document. Just go to, go to Google and type in Vatican document on the collaboration of men and women, and, and I imagine it'll pop up. And I'm going to shout out to my producer right now who edits the podcast. Juan, could you please uh, Google that for all of our listeners and um, check with me if you need to, if you found the right document, and we will put the link to that document in the show notes. So, Wendy, in light of the proper collaboration of men and women, uh-huh. what do you have to say about this? Jill, I feel so many of these things that you're saying. I I cannot tell you how much my feminine heart kind of views my own parish as as another family. And my motherly instincts come out towards the whole running of the whole place. <laughs> it is something I can really relate to, and I'm not doing it. I'm not working there, but I, it, my, my heart is drawn to that as, as a woman who loves my parish, loves um, just being a Catholic and wants more people to be reached uh, and sees limitations in what's going on currently, problem-solving mentally. I, I feel you, Jill, absolutely on this. And um, I think we have known um, personally um, a few priests who have had really healthy, beautiful partnerships with um, cel- celibate women who are in ministry with them, or um, I guess, yeah, I, I think it is really a good thing to have that kind of shared work. And there are some saints in our history who work together in pairs. And it, it's always just so uplifting. You know, we think of Francis Sinclair of Assisi, for example, or um, John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. There are others. Jane just Jane Deschanel and Francis, Francis de Sales. Yeah. Um, we were just Louise de Marillac and... Um, what is his name? Vincent de Paul. So, yep, yep. you know, these different pairs of saints, and not that you have to be a saint in order to work together as um, a man and a woman. But as much as it is a gift, when it is right, it can also be an area that can be easily gotten wrong. Yep. And we're so, it's so hard for us to know what to do about that. I think. Because it can be gotten wrong, it tends not to be tried. I yeah. think we're afraid. Yeah, you're right, Wendy. Um, and so, you know, I think I think there's a 
a need for growth there, a great need for growth, a great need for really experiencing the power of the gospel to transform our hearts, even priests, even nuns, even lay people that desire to be in ministry have, we, we need to grow a lot in order to really shine the light that we're meant to shine and our parishes would be better off. And I don't, I don't know if this particular vision that Jill is proposing is, um, it seems unlikely to happen, uh, not a bad idea necessarily, but how far we are from that yeah. at the moment yeah. and how much we can pray just for, please, Lord, help your church, help your church to become who we're meant to be, to receive the grace you're pouring out for us and apply it practically to our lives and the way we relate to one another, the way we minister to others. Please, Lord, let it be. I'll say one more thing about this masculine feminine element in parish life that I think is important to to say. The priest brings that masculine fatherly element to the parish. Where's the feminine element in that equation? It's in the parishioners, right? All of the parishioners are meant to be the active bride and mother. Right? And I think because we don't understand that, there can tend to feel be a, the, the, the felt experience of separation there. As you said, the priest seems like a single parent. So I'm going to hold out a, a challenge to, to all of us. Uh, most of us who are listening to this podcast, we're a member of some parish somewhere, right? Uh, when was the last time you invited your celibate priest over to your home for dinner? To just foster that sense of we are part of the same parish family. And when have you, as, as the representative of the bride and the mother in the, the bridegroom-bride equation in parish life, when have we as the bride said, hey, we want to contribute, we want to help you out, we want to be at your side, we want to we be part of the action? So just a word to encourage people to get more involved in your parish life and, and see if that doesn't bring about more a balance of the, the bridegroom and the bride aspect of the relationship in parish life. Mm. And keep praying for your priests and pastors. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, next question is from an anonymous listener. I'm a young, single, college-age girl. I dream of one day being married, but I have a problem. I'm not thin enough for society standards and have lots of flaws, especially on my skin. In short, I'm not stunning compared to other girls. Mm. But I try to be kind and chaste and treat people well. I can cover up some of my flaws with my clothes, but I'm afraid that one day when it's time to perform the marital act with my spouse, he's going to see me naked as I am, and he'll be repulsed by my body and my mm. flaws. I haven't found any boyfriend either, and I'm scared no boy will ever like me because of my appearance. I know my body is good because Jesus made it. The Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I understand it with my mind, not with my heart. Bless you, my dear, dear sister. This pain goes so deep. I'm reminded of a song. A friend of mine just recently texted me with this song, and he said, Christopher, don't only listen to this song but read the comments. So this is a, a link on YouTube, and 
and we will post this in the show notes so that everybody can listen to this song and also read the comments. It's a song that came out in the 70s, and it's by Janice Ian. The song is called At 17, and it's a song about the heartache of a woman who does not, a 17-year-old young woman, who does not meet society's standards of physical beauty. And it's such a poignant and honest reflection on that experience. And the comments, I remember reading, this was maybe a month ago or something, I read the comment, it broke my heart. How many women were saying, yep, that was my experience. Yep, that was my experience. And then some, some also kind-hearted men who chimed in, apologizing uh, for the ways that they failed to honor the dignity of, of women. I show this clip in my TOB1 course of Dustin Hoffman, who played uh, a, a, an actor in the movie Tootsie. He played an actor in the movie who needed a job as a man, uh, he obviously, Dustin Hoffman's a man, but the, the job he applied for because he was so desperate for work was to play a woman in a soap opera on TV. This was the movie Tootsie that came out in 1981 or 82. And I remember seeing it as a kid. It's, it's an interesting movie to watch again um, in the current cultural climate. It brings up all kinds of interesting things. That movie could never be made today. That's not the point I want to make. But Dustin Hoffman, maybe 30 years later, was being interviewed about playing a woman. And he said, you know, we first did makeup tests because I didn't want to play this role. I didn't want to do this movie if I couldn't be made up to look like an actual woman. Uh, I didn't want people to have to suspend their belief in, in thinking, oh, that's a guy in, in makeup. He said, I wanted to look like a real woman. And the, the makeup artist got to me to the point where I could walk down the street and people weren't turning their heads. I actually looked like a woman, but I didn't think I looked very beautiful. And he said, he said I said to the makeup artist, okay, you got me looking like a, a real woman now, but, but have me, I want to be a beautiful woman. Make me look beautiful. And the makeup artist said, well, that's as, that's as good as we can get, uh, Charlie. That's all we can do. And, and he said, at that moment, I had an epiphany and I went home to my wife and I started crying. And, and he, he said, I realized, he said, when I was playing that character, I thought I was playing an interesting woman. But I know if, if I had met that woman that I myself was playing at some party, I would not ask her if she wanted a drink. I would not want to talk to her because she didn't meet the physical standards of the society of, of quote, attractiveness and beauty. And he, he, he broke down in this interview and he said, he, he apologized in, in essence for, for, to all the women that he never asked out, to all the women he never gave the time of day, to all the women he ignored because they didn't meet that, that standard. And, and it broke his heart to realize how, how blind he had been. And then the, the, the interview ends with the clip anyway that I have that I show my students. It ends with Dustin Hoffman saying, with tears in his eyes and a lump in his throat, he said, that was never a comedy for me. Like he was so serious and so sincere and it, it taps right into this painful, painful 
wound. And this is what I want to say to you, my dear sister, before I, I let Wendy, as a woman, speak into this. You said, I know I'm good in my head. I know that psalm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I don't know it in my heart. There is a man, and this is real. This is not some pie-in-the-sky thing. This is real. Jesus Christ is a real man. In fact, he is the real man. He is what it means to be a man, and every man must be measured against this man. And this man, this true man, Jesus Christ, knows you, my dear sister, sees you, my dear sister, loves you, my dear sister. He sees you in your nakedness. He sees all of what you have described as blemishes. And as I pray this for you, I actually see the Lord Jesus kissing those most tender places where you fear you would be rejected. I see Jesus Christ, the true bridegroom, loving, honoring, blessing, receiving, and kissing you right in those most tender, vulnerable places. Every one of those blemishes that you've described as blemishes, every one of those blemishes is a, a kind of sacramental sign of the cry of your heart, am I lovable? Am I beautiful? Am I desirable? Am I known? Am I seen? Am I accepted? Only one person can answer that question for you with utter sincerity and truthfulness in a way that will reach you right where you need to be reached and give you a solid foundation on which to stand, and that person is Jesus Christ. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where men and women are warped by the culture and the society with certain standards of, of what is considered beautiful and attractive, and no one can take away the pain of, of that reality. But we can be known in that pain, and we can be kissed and blessed in that pain, by the one who made us fearfully and wonderfully, the one who sees us, and the one whose love is what we yearn for. And that can become the foundation on which we stand, regardless of what we experience painfully in this broken world. And I'll say this, and then I'll toss it to you, Wendy. There are good men out there. There are men out there who have been on their own journey facing these lies and renouncing these lies. And it's not impossible that you would find such a man who sees you, knows you, and wants to love you as you truly are. That's really not impossible. No, it's not. And I think that's so important. I think, um, you know, I think when you say you know this um, in your mind and not with your heart, first of all, I'm so glad you know it in your mind. That is a great first step that you know in your mind you are wonderfully made. You whoop, know whoop, that. Because you are. And 
the Lord who made you, made you with unique gifts that are meant to be shared, meant to help others because they don't have the same gifts. See, we're, we're meant to share what he's given us. And the evil one has such fun keeping us from sharing our gifts by making us doubt ourselves and hate ourselves. Mm, mm. So he is determined this shouldn't go to your heart because of the the light of goodness that is meant to reach others through you and he's he just loves to stop that so i really i don't want to let the evil one have this he can't have this amen amen cuz you are made by god to shine a particular light in this world and I know in some ways, as you shared about yourself, you are shining that light, but there's more. And this self-dislike, maybe I'll say, that you have of, the, of your physical expression, which is you, um, is, is a hindrance. And we can't stay that way. We can't. We have to let the Lord's love fight that battle. You don't have to fight the the lies that are coming at you all over the place that say, this is what a sexually attractive woman looks like, and you're not it. That I have to speak to myself a little bit right now. I'm saying <laughs> bless that you, Wendy. Bless you, Wendy. I'm, bless you, Wendy. Because <laughs> I'm 50 and I feel it <laughs> in a different way at this stage of life. Okay, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> I can't fight that battle. I need to be in touch with the Lord who knows me and loves me and is fighting that battle for me. I'm really sexually attracted to you. (laughs) Hey, that's a sign of hope for the world. (laughs) It's the truth. It's because it's because you of the redemption. It's because of the redemption of our bodies that is being worked out in and the Lord is so faithful and so good. So I want our listeners to know that. I want you to know that a genuine smile and a, a sharing of your real self is far more attractive than any falsely, quote, perfect Preach body. It. Preach it. And so please know that you are attractive. You Whoop. are. And it, it is not meant to be hidden because it's meant to draw people to the Lord. He made us all to be his messengers, uh, messengers of his goodness. So please, please call on him. Call on him. Tell him he made you. He needs to fight these lies that are coming against you and trust him to do it. And recognize when you're feeling that way. You know, I can remember. As a young person, I had seen some images of naked, sexy women, and I looked at myself and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't look like that, you know? And I, I can remember, you know, it's a long time ago yeah. now for me, but yeah. I can remember that thought, yeah. like, how am I going to hide this? <laughs> Which is ridiculous. You're not going to hide. You don't want to hide. You want to be loved as you are. Like, if we have to hide, or if we're loved only because we meet a certain standard, that's not really love anyway. Yeah, yeah. What a conundrum the evil one is putting us oh into. Oh, my gosh. He, it's brutal. Because I, 
I saw those same sexy pictures, and they warped my brain. That's right. And I know that warping of my brain has caused you pain, Wendy. We've been through this. We know whereof we speak. It's true. And we can also speak and truly declare victories, transformations, purifications, illuminations, integrations, uh, (laughs) revelations. What other Asians can we add in there? I sound like Bono. Um, He does that in his music. Anyway. And we've known some constipations as well, but <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're, and some flatulations. But all that aside, we have we have experience. We can attest mm-hmm. to victory. Mm-hmm. We can attest to victory here. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. And so here's here's just one more word as to why this is so important. Because if you stay in that fear that well, no one's ever going to love me. It, it can make you vulnerable to also clinging to a relationship that you shouldn't. So, like, if somebody wants to use you and you think that's the best I can do, you know, you're vulnerable to being attached to someone because you think there's no one who's really going to love me. So there's so much good that comes from bringing this into the light, yeah. and bringing it to the Lord and asking Him, I really feel this. Ask him to battle the lies for you, okay? He's, he's a warrior. He's your defender. Ask him to fight for you because it, it's lonely and scary to try to fight that by yourself. He's yeah, not, yeah. He wants to be with you in this. Amen. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. I know that because you shared your heart with us, there are people around the world right now looking at their hearts, both men and women, looking at the way we've been malformed here and seeking grace. And that is a tremendous grace to be seeking grace. And just because I'm weird, I want to know if there's any U2 fan out there who knows what song I was referencing there when I was on that little litany of Asians. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm not allowed to speak. You're not allowed, Wendy. Okay, Okay. I know you know that one. Yeah. Next question from an anonymous listener. Okay, we're we're in the anonymous zone, and it's okay. If you want to be anonymous, it's fine. Go ahead. I'm just noticing that we've had quite a few. We have. You're right. (laughs) Dear podcast makers. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. As if we were anonymous. (laughs) Thank you for this amazing podcast where you both share your great thoughts with us. On the 2nd of December, ooh, this has already happened. Okay. I when when it was submitted it hadn't happened, but I will stand before the altar to testify my love to my bride. Wow, awesome. Praise God. We're now talking about the wedding night with serious parts but also funny parts. Your enthusiastic response to some questions helps us get a good laugh during our conversations about this subject. My question is about the marital act and the needs of the other. Mm. Within the church, I've heard that you have to be intimate to show your love, even if you're not fully in the mood. For me as a man, this feels very wrong. I want to show my love for my wife and be intimate with her when we're both ready for it. If my wife would offer this, if she's not in the mood, it feels for me that I'm just forcing my needs. Mm. How does Theology of the Body look at this? I I just want to honor this young husband. I'm sorry we didn't get to this question before your actual wedding date. You've already had some experience here, but man, you got your lives ahead of you. 
So maybe something we'll say can can bless you. And uh, of course, we have listeners all over the world who maybe can benefit as well. So um, what does theology of the body say? John Paul II brings a very important sensitivity to all of his teaching that you also show in the very way you worded this question. Yeah, that is true. And that sensitivity has a name. It's called the approach of personalism. And a personalistic approach to sexual ethics recognizes and begins with the dignity of the person. And the goal is always to uphold the dignity of the person. And the, the, the guiding principle of a personalistic approach is what John Paul II calls the personalistic norm. And the personalistic norm states that the human person is the kind of being that does not allow, because of his or her great dignity, does not allow for being used. So the only proper response to the dignity of the person is love. So what do we recognize? The opposite of love is not so much hatred. The opposite of love is to use a person, to treat that person as a, merely as a means to an end. And what you're recognizing, what you're saying, what you're observing is, well, if my wife were not in the place where she was, you used the expression, in the mood, and I think everybody knows what you mean, um, if my wife was not desirous, let's put it that way, if my wife was not desirous of engaging in the marital embrace, I wouldn't want to impose my desire on her because you have rightly the sensitivity to recognize that could be usorial, meaning you could actually end up just treating her as an object for your own selfish need there. And that is a proper sensitivity. Uh, I wanted to say that first, and then I want to say something else as a man who's been married for 28 years. Wendy, how long have you been married? Same. Same. Oh, mm -hmm. What a quinkening. Um, I'm going to say something first, then you can say something, because mm -hmm. we've been married the same amount of time, coincidentally. And it's this, that there is, throughout married life, there's a certain, well, let me use an, another expression from JP2. He says, each husband and wife must build the proper culture of marital relations, a culture of marital relations. And that's not going to be uniform from marriage to marriage because every, every married couple is different. Wendy and I have a unique culture of marital relations. Every married couple has a unique culture of marital relations. Within that culture, John Paul II says, the way you build that culture is to welcome your spouse into your own world and to be willing to enter the world of the other. Because the world of the man and the world of the woman are different worlds. And these worlds need to come together. These worlds need to be interpenetrated, would be the word that JP2 uses. The world of the man, the world of the woman, they need to be interpenetrated so that we can discover a harmony in the rhythm of our marital relations. And, and the rhythm there means how often are we coming together in the marriage bed? Uh, how often are we not? Uh, what is that rhythm? What does it look like? Again, that's going to be very different experience for every couple on the planet. But within that rhythm, within that culture, and JP2 says the key to the establishing this culture is tenderness. Mm -hmm. Tenderness with one another. Tenderness in learning how to even open your own world to the entry of the other 
and tenderness in learning how to enter the world of the other and discover what is different about a woman from a man and a man from a woman. And that is a long journey to go on. Uh, 28 years of it, and I can say, thank you, Lord, for how far we've come, and thank you, Lord, for your ongoing grace that's going to take us even to, to new heights and new depths and new understandings of each other. It's an ongoing, ever-deepening reality. Within that, there are times when it is appropriate um, and loving for one or the other spouse to recognize, okay, I may not, quote, be in the mood, end quote. And usually what we mean by that, at least at some level, is my, my body is not responding. My body is not excited about the marital act. My, my, I'm not quite uh, physically, hormonally, at the level of a physical arousal. It, it's not quite, I'm not quite there. Or maybe it's at a psychological level. Regardless if it's physical, emotional, psychological, there can be hindrances just in our makeup, in the reality of life, in the reality of a busy day, in the reality of just the way things go. We might not, quote, be in the mood. But in that rhythm, there can be genuine love in saying, okay, I may not be in the mood, but could you help me get in the mood? I still want to be a gift to you. Can, can we find a way of... I want to say yes, even though I'm not in the mood to coming together, not, quote, in the mood, but the very willingness to say yes can begin a, a, a certain tenderness of expression between the couple that could lead to beautiful lovemaking that wouldn't have happened if we had just had some strict observance of, if you're not in the mood, we're, it's never going to happen. It wouldn't be loving. No, it can be, it can be loving to say I'm not in the mood, so to speak, but... I'd like to be. Uh, I want to give myself to you. Can can we be tender with each other? Can we can we can we see if we can come together? That, that's what I wanted to say. I hope I hope that's helpful. Wendy, mm. what do you want to share? I think this couple is really this uh, husband is really speaking beautiful things, and in part, the things he's heard said have come from. I would think, from people either who've counseled married couples or who are married couples themselves and have a certain life experience they're speaking from that, you know, before he's married and imagining, you know, what will this be like? It's hard. It's hard to find a place to put that, you know? It's like, well, where does that sit in my desire for um, to be a true gift and to be a truly loving husband? So... First of all, I love that desire, as you already affirmed, and also just want to acknowledge that it can be difficult when you haven't lived something to understand advice given to people who are living something that you've right. never been there. Um, and so, yeah, that's just part of the, the you don't know what you don't know kind of part of life. And I loved how you expressed all, you know, just relayed what JP2's beautiful insights about this, about the the culture, the unique culture of a marriage in, and the need for each to enter each other's worlds. I have often thought even Adam and Eve had to communicate. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, they don't automatically know right. each other's feelings and thoughts. Right. Like, it's not 
just because we're fallen. It's Correct. because we're two different human beings. Correct. That is w- so important what you just said. It's not just because we're fallen that we need to communicate here. Yeah. So um, I I just want to you know say, of course, you you may choose in, in your marital culture to apply those instincts in the ways that are unique to your relationship. There's n- n- that's a beautiful, good desire, and I I just totally want to affirm it um, that. You'll have to get to know one another as that's what you're saying. You have to have your worlds interpenetrate. And something that we have experienced, and I am going to just make myself a little bit vulnerable here, but is is an experience of sometimes when we would hope that we were going to have the marital embrace physically, we've ended up talking about something that was on our hearts, yes. on my heart or on your heart, that took a long time to talk yes, about. Yes. It took a, a lot of energy, a lot of energy to share, to listen, to love the other. And that ha- experience is, an, is a way that our worlds are interpenetrating yes. by sharing what's really going on in us, whether it relates to our physical union or not. It could be some other thing that we're talking about, but... Sometimes you have said something to me like, that's what I desire. I desire to know your heart. And and that it's a way of saying, like, I don't want to, like, ask you after all that we've just talked about to also now have our marital union. That's going to be for another time because this was the union that the Lord had for Amen. us today. And it is, it is a form of lovemaking. It's real lovemaking. To get that naked and vulnerable and to have your hearts interpenetrate. And if you are if you are that if you are naked at that level with that interpenetration of your hearts, then the interpenetration of your bodies becomes the physical expression of that interpenetration of the heart. And it's a a, a beautiful um what's the well <laughs> it's a beautiful culmination of of that intimacy. Mm-hmm. I think one of the real breaks breakdowns of a sexual relationship in marriage is comes from the failure of that interpenetration of hearts and relying solely on the interpenetration of bodies. And that's where it can become usorial, mm-hmm. where what we're doing physically is not a physical expression of a spiritual reality. And when what you're doing physically does not have a corresponding spiritual reality, the nakedness of, of body does not correspond to a nakedness of soul. You can tell when that is off and it becomes disconcerting and it becomes an experience of frustration and it becomes an experience of, does my husband or does my wife really know me or love me or see me? Does he just want my body? Does she just want to get pregnant? It can become usorial in that way. And and that's that's wounding, and we've known that in our own marriage. I I I made the huge mistake when we got married of thinking because I had all, had all this great theology in my head that somehow this was going to instantly translate into making me know how to love you. Ah, uh, I have a lot to learn. Um, <laughs> thank you, lover, for your patience with me. <laughs> Good night. Um, but taking that time and effort and energy to learn 
in fits and starts, with failures and successes and ups and downs, the inner penetration of the heart, the inner penetration of your worlds, that is the only way to harmonizing the sexual embrace, the marital union, to harmonizing. It has to, the physical reality has to be, has to become more and more an outward sign of an inward reality. Mm -hmm. And what do we call that? A sacrament. Mm. That's awesome. We hope you were blessed by what we shared today. Uh, Please hit that share button if you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard today. And keep the questions coming. Thanks, everybody, for being part of this global family of, of listeners to our podcast. We're, we're so grateful to you. Uh, until next time. You are a gift. I caught Wendy off guard there. <laughs> I tossed it to her. I'm sorry. You are a gift. Become what you are. <laughs>Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.